Father God, we just, right now, in your presence, pray the precious blood of Jesus over these two dear servants of yours. We would ask that Anne and Lana be filled to the full with your presence. We would ask that we would all turn our eyes toward Jesus, that we would see his beautiful face, that we would ever look to him for strength and guidance. And right now, because he gave his all for us, I pray right now that they would give their all to you, oh precious Jesus. Now we just look forward with anticipation and are on tiptoe with joy to receive what it is that you are going to give us this day, right now, as we live in your presence. In the blessed name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I think sometimes when you praise and worship and have some prayers like that, you could just call it the day and go on. Thank you, Miss Dean. What a powerful, powerful woman of God. We pray. Thank you for... Coming and being and praying over us. Were y'all ready to get in the Word? (laughs) I know I'm ready. It seems like a long time since we've been here together and and come together as a body of women in unity seeking God's Word. And and that's what we're going to do these next seven weeks. We're going to learn what it means to be a champion for Christ. You know, when Lana had come to me in the spring, she said, I think I got the topic for the fall. And she said, it's champions for Christ. I was like, okay, you know. And and as the summer started going, and then we realized it was Olympics, and all these great commercials started coming out, and different stories of different athletes, it got me so excited in my spirit, because there was so much in the natural with the Olympics that God can teach us in the spiritual, I don't know about you, but there were some, some great commercials, great commercials. And every time I'd watch them, and Lena said she did the same, she'd just sit there and watch and take notes. And the Lord would speak through it, the commercials of the Olympics. You know, God can use anything and everything. So we're going to learn what it means to be a champion for Christ. You know, when you think about a champion, you know, and you think about the Olympics and you think about football, we all love to rally around someone, don't we? We love, we yearn for a hero to arise that we can come around and cheer on. We saw that with Michael Phelps. You know, he had already displayed he was a champion, but we wanted him to go further. We wanted him to get bigger gold medals, be the world record breaker. And then we saw that with Gabby Douglas, the cute little gymnast who just appeared on the scene and got the gold medal. You see, as people, we yearn for a hero, someone to rally around. So I want us to think about what does the word champion mean? Champion, according to the dictionary, is a brave man. It's a warrior. A champion is someone that does battle for another person's rights or honor. So a brave man, a warrior, someone who does battle for someone else, a champion. And then we have the Hebrew word for champion, and I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce this right, but it's yim. And I have it written on your notes if you got that. Ben-A-Yim is the Hebrew word for champion. And what that means is someone who stands in between two spaces. A champion, according to the Hebrew word, is someone who stands in between two spaces, like two armies. So when you think of being a champion for Christ, who do you think of that came and stand in between two armies? Jesus, the Sunday school answer, 
but it's the truth. Jesus came and stood between two armies. What did he stand between? He stood in between life and death. He stood in between heaven and hell. He came and stood in between the law and grace, just like we sang about. He came and stood in between law-demanded righteousness and grace-empowered righteousness. So Jesus Christ, the champion, the mighty man, the warrior, the one that came and did battle for our rights, came and stood in between these things. The Bible tells us that Jesus came in 1 John 3, 8. To, um, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 1 John 3, 8. So Jesus came as a champion to stand between us and the holy God to destroy the devil's work. Would you all agree? He came to seek and save the lost. But in order to save the lost, he had to destroy the devil's work. That the devil had come in at the Garden of Eden and started with Eve when she was deceived. So then we have to say, well, what was the result? If he came and stood between these things for us, what was the result? In Colossians 2.15 says, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He made a public spectacle. So the reason Jesus came? Destroy the devil's work. The result? He triumphed over them by the cross. When you think of a word triumph, what do you think of? You think of jubilee victory. You think of a victory of like a hundred to nothing. You don't think of a little marginal win like seven to six, do you? It says that Jesus triumphantly won at the cross. I love the message version, and I want to read it to you of Colossians 2.15. It says, He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Marched them naked through the streets, made a public spectacle. He disarmed them of their sham authority, their authority that was not rightfully given to them, their authority that they stole in that garden. And Jesus just triumphed over them at the cross and made a public spectacle of them. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems to me to be a great champion. The champion of champions who came to destroy the devil's work and did it in a triumphant manner. And so these next seven weeks, as we get into the word of God and we learn and we see what does it mean to be a champion for Christ, we've got to fix our eyes, just like Miss Dean prayed, on the champion of champions, Jesus Christ. There's a verse that um, I want us to read together. It's Hebrews 12.2. I don't know if we've got it for the screen or not. Um, but it's a different version. It's not the NIV. I think it's the New Living Translation. And I'm going to uh, read it to you first, and then if y'all will repeat it with me. Hebrews 12:2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So how do we become a champion for Christ? Hebrews 12:2. And if y'all will read that with me. We do this. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus, the champion, the champion of champions. We're going to look at the next seven weeks, Jesus' heart. We're going to look at his attitude. 
We're going to look at his passion, that thing that was inside of him. We're going to look at his perseverance to the cross. And we're going to look at his victory. Because he is our role model. He's the perfect example of how we can walk out as a champion in Christ. But I know sometimes we can think, well, it's Jesus. I mean, you know, he's the son of God. He is born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was sinless and perfect. And we can sometimes think, how can I be a champion like that? Don't we all sometimes have those questions, those feelings, those emotions? Well, we're going to look at the Word of God today at David. And we're going to start in 1 Samuel 16, if you want to go there with me. Because I think as we learn to be a champion, we need to see some normal, ordinary people in the Bible that God made extraordinary, that God made into a champion. Because I think when we look, we look at this story of David, we're going to realize it's not as far away. It's not so far out of reach as we think to be a champion for Christ. And so we're just going to start in verse 1, and, and I'm going to kind of jump around. Um, so you just stay in 1 Samuel 16 and 17, and um, you just take some notes if you need to, to go back and read over later in your study. But we're going to start in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. All right, right now, I just want to just set that up. You know, Saul had been king. And the Lord has come to Samuel the prophet, and he said, I'm now rejecting Saul as king. No more is he going to be king. And so I'm going to send you to Jesse of Bethlehem. And out of all his sons, one of them I've chosen to be king. Okay, so Samuel's walking in faith now. He's walking in radical obedience to the word of the Lord. And so that's what he does. He goes. And let's go down to verse 6. When they arrived... Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Right there. When we start talking about the making of a champion, we have to get our natural earthly minds out of the way. And we got to look to what God says is a champion. Because just like right here, Samuel is going up and he's seeing this first oldest son. And he must have been handsome and tall and looked like a king. And he was ready to anoint him. But God said, no. The man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So first and foremost, in the making of a champion, you have to know God is not looking at you on the outside. He's not looking at your performance. He's not looking at your past. He is looking right at your heart and who you are in your heart and in your spirit. Okay, so man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And then let's go out to verse 13. And let me just set this up. So he goes through all these, these signs. And every time he passes one of the signs, the Lord's like, no, he's not him. He's not him. And so in verse 11 here, he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Because he was probably getting a little desperate. He's thinking, I've gone through all the sons, Lord. I'm walking in radical obedience. You told me one of these sons you have chosen as king. And so he says, are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse answers, they're still the youngest, but he is tending the sheep. 
And so Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. So right there, Samuel tells Jesse, go send for your son. He sent him and called David out of that pasture. He called David out from tending the sheep. Number two in the making of a champion is you are called. He will call you out of that pasture just like David was. He was tending a sheep doing his normal thing. And God said that I'm going to choose the king. And so he calls David. Jesse calls him out. We're going to learn as a champion you've been called out. And it starts in the beginning of who a champion is. So David was called out. And so what happens? He comes and the Lord says, rise and anoint him. He is the one. He is the one. He's the what? He was the chosen king. The Lord had told Samuel, I've chosen one to be king. So you need to know in the making of a champion, not only are you called out, you are chosen. David was chosen to be king. And then what happened? Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. How did the spirit come? In power. So David was called out of that sheep. He was chosen as king and then he was anointed He was anointed. The power of the anointing came upon David, and it came upon him in power. You want to know the making of a champion? It starts with being called, with being chosen, and being anointed. All right, so let's see what happens to David now. Let's go to verse 14, and let's see what happens in David's life in this next little episode. It says, The Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. All right, think about this. We know that God has already told Samuel, I've already rejected Saul as king. And so the spirit was removed from Saul's life and torment started coming in. You know, evil spirits. And it's so much so that his attendants took notice because the attendants kind of had a bright idea. They said, let's find someone who can play the harp and that will make Saul feel better. Okay, and so let's go to verse 18 here. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. This, to me, was such an interesting verse when I read this. Because at this point, we don't know how David's been a warrior. We don't know how David's been a brave man. The only thing we know about him is he was a young boy that was really kind of forgotten by his daddy. He was ruddy and handsome in feature. He was a shepherd, but yet he'd been called, called, chosen, and anointed. But one of these attendants had seen him. You see, I think this attendant saw prophetically into David's life. I think this attendant saw him, and in some way, that attendant knew the Lord was with him in power. And she prophetically spoke that he is a brave man and a warrior. What was one of the definitions of a champion? A brave man and a warrior. You see, at this point, David hadn't gone and and fought Goliath. David hadn't won these big battles. But you see, this attendant somehow, and I think it was just power of God on this attendant, knew that God was with David. 
You see, in the making of a champion, it starts at the very beginning of being called, chosen, anointed. And I think for many of us, that's kind of where we are. We know we've been called, we've been chosen, we've been anointed. But it's been a standstill. And so during these next seven weeks, we want to speak prophetically over you. That you are a brave woman. That you are a warrior. And that the Lord is upon you. I think those words of encouragement and edification allow us to be empowered to rise up and walk as a champion. And so we see that this attendant was right. Because when David came and played that harp, he used his natural skill with the anointing of God. And when he played, Saul felt better. Those evil spirits that tormented him fled. And Saul came such a liking on David that he became one of his armor bearers. Okay, I want you just to follow the progression of David's life here. And so now we get to the battle. And I'm going to call this the battle of champions between David and Goliath. And I'm going to read um, verse 4 here in 1 Samuel 17. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale of armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. All right, so think about this. You have Goliath. And what was he called? A champion. Here's that Hebrew word, Ben-A-Yim, one who stands in between two spaces or between two armies. Well, Goliath, you know, he's over nine feet tall. He has all this armor on, and he's coming and standing in between the Philistines and the Israelites. And he obviously had already won some battles for them to send him out. And so think about it. The Israelites are on one hill, the Philistines are on another, and you have this giant named Goliath, who they call a champion, come and stand in between these two opposing forces. As I was studying, they were saying, um, I was reading some documents that said, this was not uncommon for battles like this to happen, because these were really battles between gods. This was a battle between the pagan god of the Philistines and the Israelites' god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we have this Goliath that's coming and saying, I'm going to be the champion and I'm going to stand in between these two opposing forces. Okay. So let's look at verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? So what's Goliath doing? He's just producing fear in them, fear in them. He's saying, look at me. He's using intimidation with his body, with all his, his armor, his javelin, his sling on his back. And he's saying, I'm the champion. And so he starts putting fear and intimidation into the Israelites. And what do they do in verse 11? On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. It was working. The king was terrified and dismayed. The people were terrified and dismayed. This champion was coming out in championship manner, and he was winning. And what I love, too, in this verse, what, that he kept shouting to them, Are you not just the servants of Saul? He was immediately giving them an identity crisis. 
He was saying, you're nothing. You're a servant of Saul. And if Saul was having evil spirits and tormenting spirits in front of his people, I'm sure they're thinking, man, we're doomed. Are you not just a servant of Saul? And I can tell you, over these next seven weeks, as we're getting in the word and we're learning and getting empowered to be that champion, there might be some fear that gets placed on you. There might be some intimidation that comes up against you. And there might be an uh, enemy that tries to put an identity crisis on you. And I feel in my spirit that the the worst thing that we can do to become a champion is have an identity crisis. If we don't know who we are in Christ Jesus, if we don't know that we've been called, chosen, anointed, that we've been empowered, that we've got the risen Lord on our side, that we are an overcomer, that we're the head and not the tail, all those things, we can't rise up as a champion. And we're going to see what the Israelites, they took hold of this lie. And they thought, we're just servants of Saul. We're dismayed and we're terrified. Okay, so let's see what happens now. David comes on the picture. Remember, we don't know how long it's been since David had been anointed by Samuel. But here David starts coming in the picture in verse 14. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So we see that David's going back and forth, right? He's going back from being in Saul's service and going back to sending the sheep of his daddy, Jesse. And for 40 days, while this is going on, this champion named Goliath is coming forth and he is challenging the Israelites to battle. Forty. The number 40, when you see it in the word of God, is always means a time of testing, Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness 40 years. So they were tested. The Israelites were being tested here. For you and I, as women of God, there will be tests in our life. There will be tests and challenges that come against us and say, are you a true champion? There will be battles that come up that we have to face. That are going to test us if we're going to rise up a champion or if we're going to flee a defeated foe. And so that's what Goliath did for 40 days. And then it says he came in the morning and the evening and took his stand. The morning and evening. As I was studying, I found out that that was the time of the Israelites' prayer, Shema. Shema prayer time. Shema. They did that every morning and every evening. And as they went to pray, they were making their declaration of their faith in God, who God is. They would declare he's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob We're the apple of his eye. So they would have this prayer time. But every morning and evening when they would go to do this declaration of faith, Goliath was right there. The enemy was right there spewing lies, challenging them. And so what do you think happened to their faith? It dwindled. It died out. They were dismayed and terrified. And it is so interesting to me. He came during that prayer time. For you and I, we got to make sure we stay in our prayer time. And even when distractions come, even when the enemy tries to whisper lies, we got to stand guard. And we got to stay in that for our faith to make us to be able to stand firm. And so here comes David on the scene. 
And I want to, we're going to jump on down. Um, at this point in the story, David, remember, was going back and forth from a sheep to Saul's service. And David's daddy, Jesse, had sent David in with some food for his brothers and some cheese for the commanders. And so while David was there, he heard the normal defiance from this champion, Goliath. And so um, it says in verse 26, it says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Goliath had called them just servants of Saul, but what did David say they were? Armies of the living God. David knew his rightful place. David knew his true identity. He knew that they were part of the armies of not the dead God, but the living God. You see, David hadn't bought into the lies of Goliath. He had heard him coming out and making his usual uh, intimidating words, but he didn't buy into it. He knew he was part of the army of the living God. You see, David's name means beloved. David means beloved. So I think that's just a prophetic picture that David knew he was loved. And so because he knew he was loved, he knew his rightful identity, that he was a part of the army of the living God. And then we see later on, right after this, David's talking to Saul in verse 32. And he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Notice his confidence here. He's so confident in this living God. He's so confident. He knows that this is not going to be a huge defeat. And Saul replies, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. And then he goes on to tell Saul, how do I know that I'm a part of the army of the living God? How do I know that I don't need to walk into this battle in defeat and in fear? And he goes on to tell him, because when the lions and the bears came up, I'd snatch them up by their head. I'd take the sheep out of their mouth and I would kill them. You see, he stood firm on the faithfulness of God. As a champion, we got to know we're loved. We got to know our rightful identity. And we got to stand on the faithfulness of God, whether it be from our past experience, whether it be from our friends' experiences, whether it be from the Word of God, we've got to stand firm. And that's what David was doing when he's just uh, telling him, it's not going to be that big. You see, David knew. David knew that he had the army of the living God on his side. He knew that the Spirit of the Lord had come upon him in power. You know, when I think about David's point up to here, David was like a water boy in a game. What does a water boy do in a football game? He's on the field. A lot of times they're dressed out, but all they're doing is going back and forth getting water. Gatorade, giving it to those players. After those players come off the battlefield and they're tired, he's there to give them water. And I'm not discounting that because we all need to be water boys and girls sometimes to people around us when they're in the heat of the battle. But at this point, that's all he's been doing, back and forth, back and forth. But there came a time, and this time is now in David's life, that when that, the Lord was going to confirm that anointing that Samuel put on him. He was going to confirm that David was called, that David was chosen. And so I just think God just set this up beautifully to say, stamp of approval on David. And what happened with David? Verse 48, 
As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. You think David rose up a champion that day? You think they looked at David anymore as the poor little shepherd boy forgotten by his daddy? No, he rose up a champion. He rose up and he stood in between two opposing forces, the pagan God and the living God. And he rose up a champion. But it all started with the very beginning, right? What if David had not been called out of that sheep pasture? What if David had not been chosen as king? What if Samuel never anointed David? What if that attendant had never spoken prophetically over him, a brave man and a warrior? We don't know what would happen. But you see, I think this is just the process of the making of a champion. And it applies to you and I. You know, when you look here at David, his victory over Goliath, it says in verse 50, David triumphed. He triumphed. He won an amazing battle, a hundred to nothing. So big that he just took one little stone, sank it into Goliath's forehead. And what did Goliath do? He fell face down. You see, the enemy has to fall face down to the living God. The enemy who produces fear in our life has to bow down to the name of Jesus Christ. The enemy has to fall down to our identity and who we are in Jesus. And that's exactly what happened here when David rose up a champion that day. And what else did he do? He took his sword. He took the very thing that Goliath was coming at them against and took it and cut off his head. A little ruddy, handsome David rose up a champion. You see, when I read this story, and I know that it is such a common story, but there's such truth in it for you and I. You see, for you and I, we've been called, First Peter 2.9, we've been called out of the darkness and into the light. For you and I, we've been chosen. John 15.16 And y'all can just jot these down if you don't want to go each time there. But we've been chosen by God. And it says, I chose you to go and bear much fruit. And then we've got to know that we are anointed. And I think this was such a confusing thing to me for so many years. I pray, Lord, anoint me, anoint me, anoint me. 1 John 2.20, we have an anointing from the Holy One. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior then you've been called out of that darkness into light. You've been chosen a royal priesthood and one to go bear much fruit. And you have an anointing from the Holy One. So you see, ladies, we don't have any more excuses. You can't walk out and say, I'm just not born a champion. I can't be a champion. We don't have excuses according to the Word of God. Because if you've accepted Christ, then you've got to get off of the sidelines being the water girl and step onto the field for some battle. And so the main question we have to ask ourselves today, are you ready? Are you ready to rise up and be the champion that God has called you to? 
One last verse I have to give you that I just love is Second Peter 1, 3. It says that he has his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He has given us everything we need, everything for, div- uh, for life and godliness. And how? By his divine power. The same power that came upon David and anointed him from the beginning. So, ladies, it's just time to grab hold of that word, to grab hold of that truth, and rise up a champion. A brave man, a warrior, one that stands in the gap on behalf of another. And see, David was that champion that stood in the gap on behalf of Israel. And Jesus, just like Ann already said, is the ultimate champion. He's the one that stood in the gap on behalf of the whole world. He stood in the gap for me and you. Um, And you know, the Bible teaches us that when Jesus died, that he didn't just leave us as orphans, that he sent his Holy Spirit to live within each one of us. And that we don't have to live by ourselves. That if Jesus is inside of us, then that means the champion is within each one of us. That you are not alone. You are a champion. From the very start, from the time that you say, I want you as the Lord of my life, you become a champion at that moment. From the very beginning. Um, And you have that ability to stand in the gap for other people. Do you realize that? That people, that your children or friends and family that you know that don't know the Lord, you're that champion in their life. You're the one that can stand in on behalf of them. Isn't that a great calling? (laughs) Um, We're going to start out today and just ask the question, who has the ability to become a champion? Look at verse in Matthew 22:14 And this verse just says many are invited but few are chosen Now let me tell you what's happening in this scripture This is that scripture where there was a big wedding feast and it says that the master he he sent out invitations to all his fancy friends and they all said well I don't I can't come one of them said, I've got work. And the other one said, well, I've got a new bride. I'm not going to be able to be there. So all of his fancy friends weren't going to come to the wedding feast. So the master sends out to the highways and the byways, and he says, I won't just invite anybody you see. I want the homeless people and the prostitutes. You invite everybody. Tell them to come on in. And you know who came? Just all those street people. And the verse says at the end, Many were invited, but few were chosen. And it's not because they weren't invited. They didn't choose to accept the invitation. So all can have an invitation, but it's yours to accept. Um, Now, how did Jesus invite these people? Let's go to Mark 1 and start in verse 16. Everybody got that scripture? As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, 
Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, and they were preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. In Luke, it says, they forsook all and followed him. So when Jesus calls us, he doesn't say, just go do it by yourself. He says, what? Follow me. Um, For those of y'all that don't know, I work at Matheson Interiors, and (laughs) we've just moved into a new building, and our building is much larger than the building that we used to be in. And a few weeks ago, this little boy came in with his daddy, and he runs in the front door, and he jumps on this bench right at the front door, and he said, wow, wow. And he just, you know, was looking around. And I saw the daddy um, go over, and he was a real proper man. And he leans down, and he whispers to this little boy. And, and in a little while, I see that daddy walking around the store, hands behind his back. And that little boy was just following right behind him. He was doing exactly what his daddy was doing. He was just following his daddy. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus did. In John five nineteen. this is what Jesus says. The Son can do nothing by himself. I only do what I see my Father doing. Do you see that? That's a present tense word. Jesus is watching his Father. I only do what I see my Father doing. Um, And if you think about this, he's got to be able to see him to follow his lead. He's got to have a relationship with the Father, just like we do. Jesus always led by example, and that's exactly what he did to the, the disciples when he called them. What did he say? Follow me. He was teaching them just like his daddy taught him. Um, Now, this is kind of real simple, but um, if you're going to follow someone, that means you've got to be led. Does that make sense? You've got to be behind somebody. And this was the principle that Jesus lived by. Remember that scripture in Luke 4, 1, where um, Anne's even talked about this already. Right before Jesus began his public ministry, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tested for 40 days. Jesus was led. And then we bring it home to ourselves. Look in Romans 8:14, And we find that this same principle is true for us. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you are led by the Spirit of God, that's how you know that you are a champion. Because you're following the lead of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that we've got to do when you become a champion is to count the cost. How many of you know that it's not free just to follow the Lord? That it's going to cost you something. As a matter of fact, it's probably going to cost you everything. Um. 
Look in Matthew 8, starting with verse 18. Let's turn to that. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And another disciple said to him, Lord, First, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Now, that cost him a lot, didn't it? And, you know, um, I've heard lots of commentaries on this, and I don't think Jesus was saying, don't go to your daddy's funeral. What he was saying was, this man was saying, wait till my family dies, and then I'll have time for you. And the Lord says, no, I want you right now. It's going to cost you something. And as I watched the Olympics, you know, I I loved all of that. And that little Gabby that Ann talked about that won the gold medal. Did you hear her story? How she had to, to leave her mother. Her mother was a single mom. And she had to go off. And, and it cost her mom a whole lot of money that she probably didn't have. And she had to go train With a special coach, she had to have a strict diet, a strict training regimen, um, long hours of training. It cost her everything, and she had to focus her mind on one goal, to get that gold medal. And, you know, there were other commercials that came on during the Olympics, and I heard one of them, and this boy said, well, I haven't um, watched TV in a year, and I haven't eaten fast food in a year. So if you're going to be at the top of your game, if you're going to be a champion, it's going to cost you something more than it cost just everybody else in the room. And you know what? The same is true for us spiritually. If you want to be a champion, the Lord is going to put a higher call on your life. There's going to be things that you're just not able to do. Because you remember that little boy I was telling you about that was walking around in the store? following his daddy, that's the same thing that happens to us. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a champion, people are looking at you. And they're going to say, well, if old goody two-shoes did it, I can too. So you've got to watch. The Lord is calling you to live a life to a higher standard. Um, A few weeks ago, I was at a home that... We were working on it. It was a client's house. And as they were showing us through the house, I I looked around and I saw this football that was in a glass case sitting on the floor. And so I asked the girl, I said, what is that? And she said, well, that's a football that I won for my husband at at an auction. And I said, well, tell me about it. And she said, well, it's an Auburn football and it was signed by all of the football players. And um, she said, I got it at, it was signed on an A-Day game, which is just a scrimmage game, you know, a preseason scrimmage game. And I said, oh, and she said, but it was the football from the 2010 year, which was the year that Auburn was the national champions. And I got to thinking about that. You know, those guys' names were written on that ball before the season ever began. 
They were that championship team. They hadn't even stepped on the field yet. And then I got to thinking about that scripture in Isaiah. And it's Isaiah 49:16. This is what the Word of God says about you. I have engraved your name on the palms of my hands. Do you realize that? <laughs> Jesus engraved your name on the palms of his hands. Before you ever started, before you were ever in the game, your name is written on the ball. In Psalms 139.16, it says, Before one day of your life came to be, I knew them all. <laughs> in, in the NIV, it says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before, before one of them came to be. So your name is already on that ball. Do you understand that? You are on that championship team. But you've got to decide, am I going to accept that invitation? Am I going to say, yes, I want to put in the hard work. Yes, I want to put in the training. Um, And one other thing I got to thinking about, you know, that championship team, everybody on that team, got a ring, got a championship ring. But there were players that were on that team that got a ring that never stepped on the field. And I wonder when they're at the end of the day and years to go by, when they look at that ring, that championship ring, who's going to be the most proud of that ring? Who do you think would be the most proud of that ring? The person that sat on the bench or the person that was on the field, in the game, playing the plays. I don't know about you, but I know this about myself. I want to be the quarterback. I want to be the one throwing the ball. I want to be the receiver. I want to be the one blocking for somebody when they need help to get through the line. I don't want to just be on the sidelines. And you know, I thought, well, that person that's on the sidelines... They're just watching. They know every play. They know how it happened. They know all about it. But they didn't experience. They know about it. But they didn't experience it. And, you know, there's another thing about football players. Have you ever noticed that these guys, these big old tough burly guys, they just want to show off their scars? Have you ever seen that? Oh, well, I got this one in the Auburn-Alabama game. Yeah, so-and-so took me out. And I, I got this one. You know, when, when, when somebody hit me right here, and oh, and I had so many stitches, and they got to tell all about their scars. Can you imagine one day when you get to heaven, and you walk in, and you say, Lord God, I got this scar. On my heart, it was broken for you. Or, Lord, I I got this one over here fighting a battle for you. Can you imagine Jesus saying, I got this one. When I wrote your name on my hand, 
Your name is already written. I want you to stand with me and we're just going to pray. Lord God, we bless you for who you are. I thank you that you are the champion. That Jesus, you did it all for us. That we didn't have to stand in that battle and fight it on our own. That you did it for us. And Lord Jesus, I ask you right now, if there is anybody in this room that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they'll just pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I know that you are the champion. (laughs) That you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That you came down from heaven into earth so that I didn't have to die. I admit right now, Lord Jesus, that I am a sinner, but I just want to turn around. I want to be on your team, Lord. I want to be on that championship team today (laughs) in Jesus' mighty name. And, Lord God, I pray for the the bench warmers that are in this house right now. Jesus, we don't want to just sit on the bench. Father, I pray that you are stirring hearts right now, that you are calling us into the game. Father, I just ask that you stir us up, you light a fire within us, that, Father, we will be on that championship game. And when we show off our ring and when we show off our scars, that we'll just say, we had a part in this, Lord God. I praise you, Jesus, that we're going to walk out of here as mighty warriors today, as champions the champions of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, because we have you in our life. So stir us and and just take us to places we've never dreamed of. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Now today, ladies, I want you to sit down. We're going to have just a a little um, ceremony before we leave. And if you notice in the Olympics, there were... um, they always give out the prize at the very end. You know, you get your gold medal at the end. But what we've learned today is you're a champion from the start, not from the end. So we're just going to have a little ceremony where we're just going to give you that gold medal today and just declare that you are a champion starting from right now. And I want you to take this little medal and just hang it on your rearview mirror or put it in, in your bathroom, hang it on the mirror. So that you can see it and you begin to walk as a champion. Do you know a champion carries their self different? They walk different. They talk different. They act different. So I want you, every time you see this little gold medal, you just start speaking into yourself, I'm a champion of Jesus Christ. So um, I just want you to come and we're going to anoint you. And that's just a sign of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to just put that little medal over your head. So just as you feel led, come to the altar.